Hi, I'm Kate Montague. And I'm Jess Binneth. And you're listening to the Audio Craft Podcast, a series of sessions from our 2018 festival, recorded on the day by ABC RN. This is Fine Tune with John Chia and Jay Kranz, a conversation about using music in audio stories, which totally changed the way I listen to music and podcasts. Jay Kranz is a documentary audio producer, writer and musician. Her documentaries have featured on ABCRN, the BBC and the Third Coast Festival podcast. She's hosted, produced and directed the Radio Hour at Melbourne Writers Festival and she's also a musician. John Chia is an award-winning radio maker, musician and writer who prods the boundaries between pop and experimental forms. He's the co-founder of the podcast Paper Radio, the co-editor of the Australian Audio Guide and the Wheeler Centre's senior digital editor. His work includes hit podcasts Better Off Dead and The Messenger. Audio Crafts Jess O'Callaghan moderates this session. She's not a musician and needs all the help in this area she can get. Her words, not ours. So in this session, she raises all the questions that most of us are too shy to ask. So I'm really excited to be on stage with these two. Um, we want to pull back the curtain for you on the creative process behind music selection and give people a vocabulary as well for talking about music. So like I'm definitely used to saying things like I want like the blippy bloppy sounds or can we not have this sound <laughs> just like Poddington Bear and that's like my only frame of reference. And so what I really love about these two and their brains is that they know how to, they know what they want in music and they know how to talk about it. And um, so I hope that they'll be able to shed light on both these things today. Um, so we're talking about music and a lot of it is going to be focusing on on just that. And um, I think that we're we're using music in, in more creative, different ways in podcasting these days. So it's not just the that sort of feature style music isn't just being used in radio features anymore. It's also being used in news podcasts, in conversational podcasts. And so I think really like no matter what you make, if you're working in audio, these are useful skills to have in your toolbox, useful things to be thinking really smartly about. So I'm really excited to be here with you two talking about this today. We'll be listening to a lot of things too. So I wanted to kind of start by asking both of you, like what's the function for you of music in an audio story? So I know you're both struggling with this because you're like music is the audio story. <laughs> but um, we might start with you, Jay. Like what, what, are you, what is music doing for you? Why are you using it at all? I, um, it's still mysterious to me the way music can add movement and forward propulsion. Um, push time forward and backwards, which I'll play an example of later on. Uh, offer a promise uh, in the form of music to uh, the listener as a kind of side note um, or augur something that's coming uh, and the tension that brings similarly to signal a change before it's going to happen um, and turn some of the material into a kind of sonified image if you will, that plays behind the surface content of the music and kind of grows and develops in the background, creating a kind of another dimension that um, can exist in the story um, alongside um, the rest of it. But also uh, one, one of the really important things, because John, John brought up this idea when, when we were discussing this, that music can replace the voice. And I've heard a few examples recently and all the examples I'm, I'm giving are recent things I've heard because if I try to go back to everything I've loved, you know. I Would just be a whole day of breakdown sharing music with yeah. you. Um, but um, I think that when, when 
when the music comes in place of something that we already know someone's going to say, I think it um, it amplifies the idea in a way that can be more complex and more interesting than the thing that was going to be said. And I think the essence of that is of allowing the music to speak is that it lets our unconscious uh, processes sort of kick in and uh, forces our imagination to augment what's there and lets our imagination spill into the material. It's interesting that uh, I think the way that you both talk about this is like adding a dimension. And I think that when you're starting out and when you're first like learning that you can add music to things, you sort of think of it as like a, you're adding a layer of something. Whereas for you two, you're kind of adding like an entire dimension that is part of that story. Is that how do you, what do you look for when you're adding music to a, a piece? Like what are you, what's your purpose, John? Um, <clears throat> well, I guess I just think it's the same, like music is kind of the same as sound design, which is the same as voice. Um, they're all just information, and so I guess, like, music as a tool in, in radio, um, it, it can kind of add a certain, like, it can undermine the voice, and it's not that one's more important than the other, they just sort of play off each other. Um, so you can have, I mean, you know, you, you have this when you're producing, that you're sort of auditioning bits of music under stuff, like, um, oh, this is totally not right, and really kind of tuning into those moments where, like, well, why is it not right? Or what is it actually achieving? What is it affecting, even if it's not what you want to keep in the final thing? That's a really kind of direct educational process. Like um, someone saying something really stupid and the music's really serious or vice versa. Like um, that tension is really a, a beautiful and important tool that you have at your disposal. Um, and I guess the other thing I look for is just stuff that veers off the harmonic chart as well. That's not, you know, like moods for music are just... Um, the classic is major chords are happy, minor chords are sad. Um, but, you know, and that's great. That's a really... That's a classic. I knew that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, people just talk about that all the time. Um, but once you start listening for it, I mean, just look it up and look up YouTube and, like, find out what those things are if you don't know. But, like, that's kind of just your hand on the doorknob. And once you open that door um, and get beyond things that sound right together or things that just sound... Um, automatically write and look for things that sound um, th that that kind of implant a question mark in your chest. I think that's just a really good way to kind of enter thinking about music. Something else that you do really well with music that I know Jay admires as well is um, like cheekiness in music and using music under your like using music as part of your work to kind of have fun or play. Is that something that like you set out to do, or is that just like is that just you're making stuff and that happens? Uh, for me, it's part of, I guess it's part of the um, aesthetic backyard that I really love. Um, you know, some people like fruit trees, some people like flowers. I like <laughs> stupid, cheeky shit. <laughs> I think um, to help us kind of talk about this and like why we, mu why we use music and the different reasons we can use it, um, let's listen to something. Um, Jay, you chose this piece. Um, it's a moment from a podcast that uses music particularly well. Um, so do you want to set this one up for us? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is just a little example to sort of get us in a, of what I was talking about before about just, just a tiny, the last thing I heard where the kind of music came in and, and filled something in. So um, it's from Caliphate, with, which for those of you who don't know, is the new serialised podcast by the New York Times, uh, which follows Rukmini Kalamaki, uh, the Times foreign correspondent and terrorism expert, um, as she reports on the Islamic State, um, which is her beat, 
how it draws in followers and the power it wields. Um, with the story focusing on an ISIS source she finds living in Canada. And I just think it's a mini example of something elegantly done um, and sort of understated that both sort of withholds um, and fills at the same time. Yeah, I don't think we thought that like the New York Times reporting on ISIS was going to be like a no, breakthrough in beautiful music design, no, but it really is. Yeah, and, and Andy Mills produces yeah. it and he's always been really amazing with music. Um, they use the exact same justification for every attack. It's that they do it to us, so we do it to them. They bomb our women and children indiscriminately, we do it to them. Yeah. So at a certain point, you decide that you want to quit. Yeah. Can you, can you, was there one moment or a series of moments? The second time I did the kill, I killed someone. It's, it's 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 very similar. I just think that that the music comes in place of a description of something immense, um, and it's inclusive by having us fill it in. Uh, is is it a heart flatlining? Is it something in him going dead? Um, finitude. You know, it doesn't matter. It feels specific, and I think that forces us to find something to have a specific response that's um, more personal. And so for you. For you to have that response to something when you're a listener, so rather than as a maker, when you're a listener and you're, you know, flicking through podcasts, for you to come away from a story going like, whoa, they use music really well, um, what does it need to do for you? I think a lot of the time, um, well, first of all, I sort of take it in as a whole where I want it to be a kind of sonic ecosystem where one grows the other. I don't want to feel they're separate. So while I pay attention, and there are certainly times when the music is really striking and I'm very aware of it, but actually, and this is sort of gonna contradict everything I've said and will say, but the best times is when I I try really hard to notice it and I don't. Uh, and it's the same in a movie. I'm like, I'm gonna really listen to what they're doing with the music. I get to the end and I go, shit. You know, uh, I forgot. And um, I think the same happens when it's, it's, it's like it merges into something in insoluble, the combination, almost, almost like I'm under a spell um, because they're just so well paired and they're speaking to each other. John, what, um, what is it about audio? Is there something in particular that if you walk away going like, yeah, that was great, like what spell have they had to cast on you? Well, yeah, I think it's very similar. Like um, when they don't feel like separate entities, they're just sort of part of part of this one unit moving through space or moving through time in your head. Um, but then I also kind of like stuff where it's really, it's quite obvious that the music is kind of plonked in. And um, I just like to feel like it's a deliberate move. Like maybe the music doesn't just get dropped in how it was mixed um, in the studio. Maybe it like is the stereo field is narrowed and it's placed slightly to the left or something like it just has a place it has a position um and yeah and i guess otherwise i just like things that have a physicality to them or a, um yeah kind of a visceral quality that helps to yeah again kind of push you through a story or, or um subtly kind of guide you is there something that music like are there qualities in certain pieces of music that do have that propulsion like i know when i'm looking for music sometimes um, I am looking for something that'll like move me forward and like what qualities could a piece of music have that 
would offer that like momentum. <laughs> um, th- there is one example, if we have time, that the second caliphate example has some of that, I think. I mean, I think usually it, it has to have some sort of pulse under it. I mean, it's usually, I think, either way, you want to feel it as a contrast to something. It has to be less static than what's happening, say, um, in, in, the, in, the, in the voice. Yeah, so I think as long as there's m- more movement than that, then we'll experience it as, as a shift. There's, um, there's a piece that you've brought along to share that stay with you lately. Um, should we have a listen? Do you want to set this up? Yeah, sure. Um, this is just from a podcast called Swipe Left, Swipe Left. Um, and I just think it's an interesting example because it's quite, um, it's quite accessible. Um, the, this specific piece of music is like uh, synth arpeggio, so it's a sequence of repeated notes um, that kind of, if you play them at the same time, they kind of for, form a scale or a chord. You didn't need to know Classic. that. Classic. So sorry. Um, but basically... So what they've done in order to kind of create some variation with the same kind of tonality is I think they've pulse stretched, which is like extreme time stretching um, this arpeggio. So the, um, when, the, when the story is kind of trying to shift gears a little bit, they've preserved a lot of the tone, but they've used the same piece of music and just kind of edited it. Um, and I just thought it was kind of an interesting example of someone doing that really simple thing. Do you know that by listening to it or do you know that because you've read or something about it yeah sorry it's from listening to it because yeah. you, i mean this is the thing like um you do things over and over and you get used to how different tools sound and maybe it's not how they did it at all but um you feel confident enough that maybe this is if you were going to try and get to there and this is like what being a producer is if you were going to try and get to there this thing you have in your head these are the ways i'd probably do it all right so think about that while we listen to this <laughs> But the next thing was, he delved into the bag and I thought, please don't bring out the dildo. I'm going to say something. I really, really don't want that dildo anywhere near me. And please don't bring out the pegs. He pulled out a bottle of poppers and I remember seeing the words extra strong. It actually had nothing to do with music. I just wanted that. <laughs> Was that thing about repeating a piece of music even true? Oh, like listening to it? I don't know. Like, I was, kind of wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> Jay, um, let's talk about some things that have stuck with you recently. Um, what's sort of, yeah, got your ears interested? Um, well, a couple of things I heard... Recently, uh, I won't play, um, but I just thought one of them really struck me, which was from a podcast called Awful Grace that Audio Crafts Jess Binneth um, introduced me to. Thanks, Jess. I love it. Um, it's produced by Robert Anderson out of Chicago, uh, and he uh, made a one-hour, 47-minute episode um, that I'll play the beginning of soon. But... It's an, it makes no sense for me to play the intermission, but he did put a seven-minute musical interlude right in the middle, and um, it's a piece about death um, within a piece that's about um, deaths in Chicago. And it just made me think that we get so expedient about how we use music, and especially now as we're moving away from broadcast kind of limitations, I think there's... Um, 
I think there's room to explore um, a bit more room in allowing musical moments to reflect and deepen our experience for peace rather than assuming that people are going to have those experiences later after hearing the piece. So both that and he does this exit music and Caliphate also did in one and a half minute exit music that they didn't need to put there. But um, helped me, you know, it was, it was more than a digestive. It actually like changed how I felt about the piece. Yeah, I found that I didn't even notice with the Caliphate one, I didn't realise that I was listening to it still. Like I was walking home and um, I was like, oh, no one's talked in a really long time. But yeah. this is, I'm still feeling things about this story. Yeah. And so what's this example that you've, you've brought um, as well? Yeah, so this is the introduction. Um, and, you know, I just have to apologise. I think all my examples I realised are morbid. Um, <laughs> uh, at least I'm sticking to a theme. Um, but, you know... Not um, John's theme. <laughs> I was trying to go goth today. <laughs> exactly. But um, I, think he, I think he achieves more with music than I've ever experienced in a, in a podcast for me. Um, and I, I don't want to... I'd like to talk about what I think he does afterwards rather than take away because I think it he creates an environment in which so many experiences can be had from it but but I do like that he seems to not give a flying fuck about what music he should play or what other people do and um, I think you can hear that and um, even though it feels thought about it feels kind of um, radically fearless um, so this is from an episode called uh, they tell me you're wicked uh, which is dedicated to a 13 year old and 11 year old which di uh, who died in Chicago um, or were killed in July 2014. Thank you. 
over and over and over and over and over and over. Um, and he, he goes on to do a a few other amazing things before the kind of main section of the piece. But I, I just love how he, he collapses time. The, you know, the music helps us um, sort of transition through those stages and he weaves in emotion without kind of pushing anything on us um, and then sort of seamlessly drops us into the world of the story, the train level crossing, which I assume is in Chicago. Um, so it's holding us in something very personal while I think also speaking to the epic, um, which is where the story lies in these kind of bigger arcs of life and death and um, tragedy. Um, but, but he gives the music lifting work um, by associating it with, with birth and life at the beginning. Um, and then when he sort of literally interrupts the music, I think it's pure, pure augury and pure foreboding about life interrupted and something unnatural um, about to happen. It's just one example of what he does. This is working on this podcast, or not podcast, working on this session with you. Um, it's the first time I've heard that podcast and it's, yeah, really haunting and beautiful and just, yeah, masterful. yeah. yeah. Um, I think we're going to move on to one of our case studies and if we have time for more examples of things you guys have listened to at the end, we'll come back to some of our other pieces to share. Um, so I think we'll start with your, your case study, John. So I asked these two to pick two stories that they'd worked on where we could share, um, share something without music and then talk about how they chose to use music and then how, you know, hear what it sounded like afterwards. So um, this is a tone change again. Uh, yeah, I just want to go and cry for a bit and then maybe <laughs> come back to this later. <laughs> yeah, um, but, you know, we're going to go there. So tell us about this story. Tell us about The Big Prawn. Um, the Big Prawn is a piece from Paper Radio, the podcast I've been making. Um, it's a fiction piece, a short story written by a writer called Cardia Pace. Um, and, yeah, it's, I, I don't know, I don't know if there's any point in explaining much about the story, but... Um, it's about the big prawn. Yeah, uh, the big prawn in Ballino, if you haven't seen it. Um, Bunnings owns it. <laughs> so shall we hear it without music first? Sure. <laughs> she laughed and put a fist under her chin and said, my favourite place in the whole world would have to be the big prawn. I said, where's that? And she said it's, it's in Ballina. And she said it was her favourite place because I was conceived there. She said it was huge and pink and on the way to Byron Bay, where she met Dad. I asked if there were big prawns in Antarctica and she said probably, probably not. Conceived at the big prawn? <laughs> yeah, you tell me. I don't yeah, know. Uh, I think it's, I mean, I've been to the big prawn and I don't know where. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this is your example. so Somewhere in the tale. Maybe the music... <laughs> will give us something that'll evoke the answer <laughs> to that question. <laughs> Do you want to um, explain anything before we, um, we hear it with music? Um, well, do you want me to talk about that before or after hearing it? Is there anything we should listen for while we're, while we're listening to it? I guess. So part of, part of um, the process of doing stuff like this for me is um, trying to, uh, yeah, again, kind of cast the music and musical elements like a guitar or something as a character or as, as extra information. So 
Um, so they have a bit of a voice and also kind of um, two things, using um, sound effects and sound design um, as cues for me to um, compose with, like composing with samples and then putting music around that. And the other thing is um, using musical notes and sequences as kind of metaphors and stuff. I, I don't know. Sorry. No, yeah, I think we're going to hear another example as well, which makes really clear the the sort of using sound effects musically as well, because that's something that you do really well. Um, all right, let's hear it with music, the big prawn. <laughs> she laughed and put a fist under her chin and said, my favourite place in the whole world would have to be the big prawn. I said, where's that? And she said, it's in Ballina. And she said it was her favourite place because I was conceived there. She said it was huge and pink and on the way to Byron Bay, where she met Dad. I asked if there were big prawns in Antarctica and she said probably not. Kind of just fades out. So um, so thinking about that music, like what we were talking about earlier with the forward propulsion, like once she says, once she gets over the, the big prawn, there is this sort of forward momentum that you've, you've got there with the music. Is that, I mean, what qualities, if you were to use your vocabulary that I don't have, what qualities does that, that music have? Well, I think um, like it's pretty referential again. It sort of has that um, 60s bubblegummy kind of romantic thing with the kind of palm muted guitar and a lot of reverb, which is just really kind of very evocative of different genres and the kind of all of the meaning that's wrapped up in those things you can just kind of package and paste into some of the stuff that you do. Um, yeah, it makes you think of like a faded postcard that has the big prawn on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, just like kind of swishy guitars that um, th that kind of maybe sometimes evoke for me like the swinging of the tail or the, the kind of romantic feeling of like, you know, the dad and stuff like that. Um, and then I guess it... I can't remember the end. Yeah. No, I can't remember. That's the, it. Um, the, paper, the music in paper radio sounds to me like I can always... I feel like I can tell that something's a paper radio story. Um, and a lot of it is, is to do with the music and the sound design. Is there some, like, are you coming to that project with a certain um, idea about what music should be in a paper radio story? Because I think it does sound unique among, you know, your other extensive work as well. Uh, I think it's changed a bit, but I think, I mean, I'm pretty, I feel pretty strongly about, um, yeah, I mean, I really, I absolutely adore the kind of um, gorgeous rich and pensive work that Jay makes and that also Jay has shown examples of so far and um, like those moods are things I'm trying to get better at but I guess the things that I feel most comfortable with are um, things that have maybe too much colour even. I'm sure people have listened to our stories and just thought there's too much going on and I respect that opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Um, shall we listen to a piece that um, is also from Paper Radio that does have a lot going on, on that note? Sure. <laughs> um, so this is, this is really interesting because you have, um, I mean, it's sound design, it's sound effects, but it's also used, it is music, how, the way that you've used it. Do you want to have a talk about that? Uh, yeah, so this is a piece about um, a 
solitary, what are they called? Sensory deprivation tank. Um, and this is the sequence where he comes out and so there's like, he's talking about how his senses are enlivened by the deprivation and I guess I tried to fill that in. And um, the piece is called The Isolation, Solitude, Confinement, Confinement, Happiness, Freedom, Domain. If you want to go listen to it after, it's very good. Let's make this play. Pat, those senses, those glorious senses, they're back too. Colours look more vibrant and lurid, they pop, and sounds sound richer, more complex and layered. Smells are particularly pungent. <laughs> and so when you're, um, like, what's the process to do that? Not the whole process. Well, it's like, part, how, do you, how do you even think about doing that? Well, I, I think I just really try to think about what, what's happening in the story and what's, what are the different elements of the mood. And so he's kind of, he's talking in this animated voice. Um, the, the kind of key of the music should be playful, but it shouldn't be too, um, uh, like it's not meant to be too uplifting or anything. So uplifting would be like kind of swelling chords or held notes. Um, it needed to be quite rhythmic. And so there was sort of the xylophony, marimba things and... Um, Lots of percussion is quite playful, so I guess, look, I, I mean, and then there's like the, like the peeing sound and I just thought, well, how can I make the peeing sound sound more lurid? And um, <laughs> I thought, well, okay, well, that kind of popping sound is like a synth, like a filter envelope, so it's like, you know, the opening up of the tone, so I can just sort of make a bunch of those happen and... Um, like I know yeah, I'm, kind I'm of only laughing words, at you because you're like talking really intricately about how to make the peeing sound sound more lurid and I love it. No, your um, product. <laughs> um, you were using words there. Um, you were using some words that like I didn't understand and then other words which were like uplifting, you know, things like that. So um, you both have developed these incredible musical vocabularies from being musicians, which is then translated into your beautiful audio work. If people who don't have musical backgrounds, who aren't musicians, wanted to kind of sharpen their musical vocabulary, what can you recommend they do? Like, where do they start? I mean, earlier you said go to YouTube and learn about those two chords. Like, that's a really, that's really helpful advice. Like, is there anything else like that that you'd recommend people do? Uh, start a band. <laughs> <laughs> start a band. I'll just really quickly say, I think... Um, like none of that stuff comes naturally, obviously. It's like very constructed language, but listening is, I mean, it's so obvious. Listening is the key, but finding a way to structure your listening is really helpful. So um, when you're listening to like one sound or many sounds and trying to figure out what's going on, it's always about change. It's like, um, like what's happening with the time? What's happening over time is like, do beats fall away very quickly like staccatos, like really kind of, like that, or are they kind of swelling and then falling away? Um, are things overlapping? You know, is the is the sound narrow or is it wide? Um, trying to figure out, yeah, the differences. Just yeah, what's happening over time? Like, is and are there certain um, are there certain writers or um, critics or anyone who you think talks about music? really well or who people should read or like are there any sort of resources for people who are trying to get better at talking about music that you can think of i mean i, I haven't really thought about 
uh, the answer to this question before, but I do think that you're going to probably learn most first, anyway, about music you know well. So I would start by taking music you, knew, you know well but may not have a language for and go and listen to the musician talk about it or, or being interviewed about it because you'll, you'll, you'll have a reference to build from, I think. Um, I think I've learnt a lot that way. But also, I just, I loved your blippy bloppy um, <laughs> at the beginning and I, I actually think it's really important if you can and if you are working with musicians to find musical languages within your podcast or your piece that are specific to what you're working on that, and that don't reference anything else. And it might be, um, it might be talking about the sound of wanting to evoke fog in a piece that's foggy or, you know, uh, just at finding words and references and images that you want to sonify within the work as well and building your own language with whoever you're working with, I think, can also create some really interesting results. I'd really like to talk about your case study, The Leaves. So that's something, all of those things are kind of applied here like into, into this piece that you brought along. So how did you approach the music in this piece? Sure, I didn't realise how big this would be. I don't know what steps would <laughs> even means. Um, so, so two things. Um, one is generally, I, you know, I like to sort of, anything I approach, I try and create a kind of pocket universe um, for the listener to live inside for the duration of the piece. Um, and, you know, I try and evoke at least one element within the story, whether that's the environment or the internal state of the character, um, just as long as it's kind of habitable, seeable um, and able to be experienced. And I just try and leap in my imagination into that place and just not let go and hope that if I stay there long enough, you know, the listener will sort of eventually join me. Um, there's a nice quote from E.L. Dr. O about writing where he says, um, good writing is supposed to evoke sensation in the reader, not the fact that it's raining, but the feeling of being rained upon. And um, it's certainly uh, what I was trying to do here and what I always try and do is get inside it. Um, so first I'm playing a voice-only version so that you can hear how heavily cut the vocal is. So I tried not to change anything fundamental to her rhythm, um, but I wanted to get under the skin of the person telling this story um, and to kind of invite us into her state of mind and urgency by pushing and pulling on her natural rhythm so that it sort of felt tensile and, and like it didn't relent. Um, yeah, so, so, so we can just hear the voice, only one first. I knew I wasn't overdosing anyone. I just knew that was the only way I was going to get out quietly without any fuss as planned. You know, my dad was going to be at work. I was going to be able to take his car. So when everyone was asleep, I got out of bed, made the bed shape, made a little shape that looked like a body in the bed, got the suitcase out from under the bed, picked up car keys, went down the hallway, through the garage to the laneway and that was the car was there it was an old white station wagon I'd never driven but I drove <laughs> what a mental idea I did side swipe a parked car it's dark and there's lights going past and I'm a bit worried about how narrow the streets seem and I don't remember sleeping that night do you want to say anything before we hear it with music um yeah, well, just mainly that I, um, I've zoomed in on 
Um, it's not really that interesting. It just shows that um, I use three or four layers of music here because um, I just felt one wasn't enough. And so I use pre-recorded music in this situation and I put different ones together as well as layering some on top of each other. And because I wanted to sort of build, she's making a decision to leave home because she has a, a violent father. Um, and then she makes a decision to drug the family and then to escape and then steal the car and then not knowing how to drive. And that's why I wanted it to step up. So I grabbed other stuff. But also what, what might be interesting to listen for is the fact that they kind of don't quite go together. Uh, and as more and more comes in the music, it's almost a bit sickening. Um, they sort of just work. Uh, and that's partly um, because I wanted it to feel unsettling. Um, and I also, um, you know, she'd been attacked with a knife and there was this sort of scraping car and I, 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 I sort of went for something a bit metallic to sort of feel that knife edge. And um, I added sort of punctuating sound design so that you would also just be sort of pricked into the moment of also just the physicality of where she is while all this sort of um, discomfort is and suspense is building in the background as well as some repetition. Let's hear it. I was really lonely after my mum died. My dad drove a cab at night. He'd come home about four or five in the morning, if he came home, because he always used to disappear for days. He'd go on drinking binges, gambling binges, dice, cards, anything, really, horses. The last event that made me realise that I had to get out of there, he was yelling at me and he picked up a kitchen knife, carving my hand, ran at me. In that time leading up to when I left, I'd accumulated a small stash of Valium and Mogadon of my dad's. So on the night that I was leaving, I slipped quantities of those into people's beverages. When I made their <laughs> evening tea, yeah. so my stepmom, my, my poor grandmother who was visiting from Greece at the time, who was sleeping in the same room as crushed me. the pills, stir it a bit and give them a cup of tea. I knew I wasn't overdosing anyone. I just knew that was the only way I was going to get out quietly without any fuss as planned. You know, my dad was going to be at work. I was going to be able to take his car. So. When everyone was asleep, got out of bed, made the bed shape, made a little shape that looked like a body in the bed, got the suitcase out from under the bed, picked up car keys, went down the hallway, through the garage, to the laneway, and that was the car was there. It was an old white station wagon. I'd never driven, but I drove. <laughs> what a mental idea. I did sideswipe a parked car. It's dark and there's lights going past and I'm a bit worried about how narrow the streets seem. And I don't remember sleeping that night. I just want to thank Eleanor McDowell, who's in the room from Falling Tree, for commissioning that. Thank you, Eleanor. I want to thank her for commissioning it too. It's beautiful. <laughs> I wanted to, I'm only going to ask a couple more questions before we go to the audience questions, but something um, that I do want to talk to you about, Jay, is like your process, like very nuts and bolts style, like what do you, um, how you go about doing this? So you have like a, a real process to come about something that's like very creative. Yeah, and, um, and it's never the same every time. 
I mean, the first thing I do is, um, just to use another writing example, I think it was George Saunders who said, you know, that when he writes and when he edits, it's a bit like going to the optometrist. He's like, it's better like this, I like this, you know. And um, I, the first thing I do is check, like, is it actually better with music? And let tape that is strong and doesn't need it be without it. And then once you are putting music, um, just keep checking. Is it better like this? Is it better like that? Um, and because, you know, people have to see through it. It's, it is a bit like a prescription and you, and you, you have to be careful about what they're going to see and really make very conscious choices about that. So that's the first thing um, I do. Um, and um, I suppose I ask myself, like, how can I evoke something beyond the sound of the thing itself um, to try and inspire creative, different creative choices. Um, and there's a hiding place example, if we want to play that, of something where, I, yeah. where, where there's something not literal. Um, it's really quick. Should we have a listen to this? Sure. This is my dad's earliest memory. Pansy flowers. And his second memory. Sitting on dad's back, watching men marching by in formation. And then... My next memory would be in hiding. Yeah, so that's just a tiny example of working with the power of suggestion. He went into hiding in, in World War II in Poland. And that's actually just a recording. That sound that sounds like marching, because it, we link it, is just an old record turning uh, under the music. Um, so I, I think we... You know, if we should stay open to those things because sometimes they can be more interesting than if I if I'd stuck marching feet. Um, so I try and just I don't know, just embrace the idea that music is abstract and the the power of suggestion can be more interesting. And to remember to be open to that. Um, another practical thing I do is keep a music folder as soon as I know I'm going to start working on something and start bower birding from I love place. that. You call it like a commonplace book yeah. for music. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, because I think, yeah, something gets activated the minute you're thinking about a piece and you do start hearing things as, as well as getting ideas. And it means that once you go to work on something, um, you've already got a little sort of mood board um, to start with. Um, John, what, what sort of practical, practical things do you do when you're approaching this process? Um, that that folder thing is exactly it as well, um, especially um, for things that I know have to have a really strong and clear structure um, where the moods have to be really strong and I am going to draw on music that already exists for it. Um, for, for me making stuff um, myself, I, I, there's not really a process. It really, I think it... I, I personally really like to start from a small detail and just kind of expand it out. And yeah, as Jay says, just test it out every now and then. And keep just keep asking: Is it working? Is it? Does it need anything? Does it need less? Um, and what is the other thing that it needs? Um, is it like the same voice, kind of doubled a little bit, or is it a note, or is it a texture, or something like that? And before we go to audience questions, what, are, what do you think about this moment in time we're at in podcasting? What do you think um, in terms of music, like looking at listening to everything that you're listening to, um, what do we sound like musically in podcasting at the moment? Um, I feel like from all the examples we've listened to and from the stuff that I listen to, it's so varied. Like some people are really... Um, does Poddington Bear still have, like, is he still paying his mortgage? Um, 
it's there's a lot of like I mean people are using a lot of stock music there's um people who are really going far out into really deep production and I kind of love it all it's just exciting to hear people playing with it yeah 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 I agree I think there's something happening where it's becoming more hegemonic on one hand and then it's going more cinematic on the other with something like S-Town and even that making of a massacre little clip that was played this morning was quite cinematic to me and whereas before I think people went as far as using bands now there's film composers coming in and bringing uh, that skill set to I mean I'm sure there were before but it feels it's more audible than it was before yeah definitely like film how different do you think that is that sound of film music and that style of music to um, sort of traditional radio production music um, it's a really good question that I was thinking about this morning and um, I don't have the answer to it but I think it's um, I don't think people have been given the opportunity to score things and I think for one thing it's usually scored um, in these more like in in the S town example say and so they kind of use motifs and they really um, can decide w- where they want the music to sit and make something completely original that is completely responsive to that one podcast as opposed to sort of drawing stuff in um, and mixing and matching a bit more. Um, So we're going to take some of your questions and we are recording this for the AudioCraft podcast. So um, wait till the microphone gets to you before starting. Um, A really quick question. With the They Tell Me Your Wicked example, um, that piece already exists so it wasn't written for that podcast um where do you think we should be finding those people who are up and comers and and composers and people who are wanting to get into those scoring scenes because i'm a a music school dropout and i can't find anyone to damn score my podcast (laughs) yeah it's it's a really good question i mean i think the minute there's money there'll be people um pretty much um I worked with musicians on the Radio Hour, which was a live um, non-fiction show that Jess mentioned. And they'd never worked on podcast or or radio stuff before and it was all original scoring and they loved it and they wanted to do more um, and they were paid for it. Um, And I just, I think it's changed now. I think whatever was happening six months or a year ago wouldn't even be the same anymore as far as people's awareness of of podcasting and the kind of excitement of, you know, so people got so excited about the S-Town score. I think it, I think it, you know, hang in there because I think it's just really clicking over very fast. And as long as there's budget for music, I think it's just going to grow massively and people, musicians, are just uh, going to love it. And I think, too, you as a music school dropout would probably know better than us where to find those people. Like they, um, and I think that maybe approaching people as collaborators from the start of a project can be the best way to go about that um, and kind of find someone who's like invested in whatever your creative vision for it is. Um, because, yeah, if someone's doing something if someone's doing something for free or for not, you know, as much money as you're getting or whatever, then um, I think that it is easier to start from the beginning and kind of go, let's do this together and get someone who has that sort of um, creative investment as well. Do you have any suggestions? Um, no, I think, I mean, yeah, that, but also um, finding people who are at a similar point in their career to mm. you um, just kind of makes it easier somehow. 
that's my main takeaway from that, I think. Sorry, I always have a question. Um, it's been really great to hear you guys talk about great sound design and music. Um, bit of a downer, but I wonder what are the most common things that you hear people do really badly with music and sound design or just really wrong? I heard something the other day that I'm not going to mention because it's being recorded, but I just thought it was the most awful thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> and um, it sounded like placemarker music that no one got around to replacing. And I think that's something to think about is when your ears are fresh, like really choose the moment that you're going to put the music in. And I would avoid just personally using placemarker music because I think it begins to answer to its own rhymes and create its own inevitability and you get used to wanting to hear that thing and when you go to actually do it, something else might so sound substandard that might be infinitely better. So that's just one one mistake maybe. So you're talking about if you're like working on something and you're just not, you're not going to cope with the music just yet and you put something in there because you want to evoke a similar feeling, you go, I'm going to put something better in later and you d it's just sometimes never happens you're like oh no this is good well it might not happen or you might it might affect your choices later it's just a personal thing for me and i've had that experience with something before um um where, where something was changed i was like eh, you know i got really sort of uptight about the change even though i think it was better so yeah it's just a little thing to think about what about you john what do you not like oh man i wish i had such good sick burns but i um <laughs> i just really think that the the thing that bugs me probably the most when people use music badly is like um, there's just the balance is really off like the the vocal might be an iPhone recording and the music is like full spectrum pop banger um, and it just like one thing just highlights the shitness of the other um, or you know or they're both like they're both really tinny and then there's like a marimba and you can't hear what the vocal is doing and you know stuff like that is just like um, a couple more drafts. I think, too, something that we didn't get a chance to talk about today um, but that's important is how the music's treated as well, something that you both feel quite strongly about. So, yeah, similar to that. So how you, no matter what music you're using, even if it's, like, the most beautiful thing ever and it's perfect for that spot, if you, if you treat it in the right way, that's going to make all the difference. Yeah, and I think it's something that producers probably need to get a bit more comfortable with is... You know, you might not be, not everyone out there who's making stuff, you know, you might not be a sound engineer, but to get a bit more comfortable with doing stuff to the music so it isn't just plonk there clean. Um, and there was an example I was going to play of that where where, um, where Nina Simone gets sort of drowned in reverb and disappears um, in sort of pre-delay into the into Chicago. Um, but, it, you know, it's another thing to think about is like, you know, what can I do rather than just sit it there? That was John Chia and Jay Kranz speaking with Jess O'Callaghan. Our podcast is produced by Selena Shannon and the music is composed by James Milsom. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Audiocraft podcast. We've got more episodes rolling out over the next week and a whole back catalogue of talks and workshops from our previous festivals. Also, we'd love to stay in touch. You can sign up to our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at audiocraftfest. Audiocraft.